all of the indicators from both spatial uh, as well as individual physical and structural inequities that we can properly call racism. And I know it's a difficult word, but if you'll give me a minute, I'll, I'll maybe define it for you and show you what yeah, we mean. So we look at differences or gaps between educational attainment, between similarly situated white and black students. Mm-hmm. We'll look at gaps and disparities that continue to persist in wealth, in the ability to own land, to earn income, in employment. We look at differences in the criminal justice system, differences in arrest rates, in sentencing, in access to plea and probation and parole. We look at differences even with respect to physical environment, location near toxins or environmental hazards that are health-harming, like highways, railroads, or manufacturing. And what we see today is that the past segregation of Charlottesville is actually continuing to inform all of those metrics. So my area of specialty is public health and law. So when I combine those two, I look at specific outcomes that show that type of inequity in public health and in law. So here's an example. In Charlottesville, over the past 25 years, on average, the difference in infant mortality rates between black and white mothers has been an unacceptable average two and a half to three times greater for blacks than whites, right? So that would mean that over time, a black mother in Charlottesville today is two and a half to three times more likely to lose her child in the first year of birth the after birth, rather, than a white mother is. Now, many times in public health, when we look at these types of disparities, we think they will correct when we control for education and for income, or what we call socioeconomic status. And how we know that this is just not a poverty issue, but a racial issue, is this. If we control for income and education, we don't see that disparity disappear. So a middle-class mom who is making between fifty dollars and $75,000 a year, who has a college education, still is over two times more likely to lose her baby in the first year of life than a white mom who is below the poverty line and has only finished an eighth-grade education. Mm. So that's what we call a race-specific problem. The history of healthcare access for blacks in Charlottesville it's not that they were welcome at either the University of Virginia or at Martha Jefferson, right? So the doors were open, but they were open to the basement. The doors were open, but they were open to inequitable care, right? So I think the well-meaning people of Charlottesville that I know, most of the white citizens of Charlottesville would say, that was terrible, and I'm so glad it's over, right? right? right. Um, but the point is that it's not over. Right? The effects are not over. Right. Um, and so I look at the fact that during the course of the history that you've just recounted of blacks in Charlottesville, just looking at these health outcomes, legal segregation may be over, but the fact that water and sewage and transportation and education were all organized according to those segregated patterns 
continues to inform health today. The fact that land ownership, home ownership, and the ability to buy and sell property to pass on from generation to generation was organized in those segregated patterns continues to inform the wealth disparity today. We can look at the fact that if someone is born into a racially divisive environment and has to live in isolation from the larger population's resources, right? Their health certainly is affected in the immediate term. But ultimately, that will affect their ability to do well in school. That child will miss more days in school, will have less concentration in school, will be subject to different types of psychological pressures in school. So then their educational attainment is compromised. Perhaps the school that they go to, even today, where black and white students go to school together, might be segregated once inside the walls, right? So what we're finding is a discipline disparity, right? Where black children are more frequently disciplined than white children. Black children are more frequently suspended than white children. Black children are more frequently expelled than white children. So this means your educational attainment will be inferior, and the achievement gap will then translate into your economic prospects for employment, right? Right. Once those economic prospects for employment are disparate, then the chances that I can move into any neighborhood where I'm quote-unquote welcome Mm -hmm. are compromised. And my achievement, educationally, impacts and informs my ability to earn and pursue a career and to advance economically. So if that's compromised, then I am left to live in concentrated poverty, right? So middle-class blacks are more likely to live in concentrated poverty in Charlottesville than middle-class whites, right? Which means then I'm exposed to a different standard of policing. I'm exposed to a different level of violence. My built environment gives me fewer opportunities to exercise and avoid obesity. And so on and so forth. So you see that not only are all of these things connected contemporarily, but they're all connected historically as well. Right. Um, I have been uh, struck by the number of research projects that have come out of the national stage uh, that have demonstrated really shocking disparities uh, around issues of race Mm -hmm. in the present. Mm -hmm. Um, As a historian, I'm fascinated by the, fascinated is the wrong word, I'm deeply depressed by the clear recognition that there's an obvious distinction between my income and my wealth. Hmm. So if the American dream and the American promise of um, reconstruction of the self by, uh, through work is in fact true, then one has to believe one of two things that African Americans are fundamentally lazy or the system is just deeply, deeply broken, right? Right. Right. Yeah, so you've come to a point that makes me especially pleased that we're doing this as a part of a conversation at the Center for Christian Study. Because in my view, one of the fundamental explanations for why those disparities continue to persist Mm -hmm. 
is a moral one. Mm -hmm. And it is a moral explanation that I think, honestly, when I think about why I'm back in Charlottesville, why I have hope, why I'm optimistic, mm -hmm. in large part it's because my faith informs the fact that I think my faith tradition and many faith traditions, to be honest with you, have the very most important seed of change that there is. But here's what I think history tells us about the fundamental problem. And uh, bear with me for a while, because you, re you referred to the history of eugenics. Mm -hmm. uh, we can go back further to the history of our university's founding patriarch, Thomas Jefferson, mm -hmm. right? Um, and he's not unique, but I'm going to pick on him because he left us a book. He left That's us right. the notes on the slave, uh, uh, the, on the state of Virginia. And so we know this principle that I'd like to name and call dehumanization. And dehumanization of blacks is not only at the core of the explicit and blatant historical racism that you've described, but I'd like to suggest that dehumanization has seeped into and permeated even our understanding today. Now that might be surprising because you will not hear very many of the good white folks of Charlottesville say the kinds of things that Thomas Jefferson said about blacks. Right. Right? right. They don't love, they don't polished. grieve, right? <laughs> yeah. They're like mm -hmm. orangutans and they mm -hmm. are so many horrific things. Mm -hmm. Move that forward to the eugenics movement and how mm -hmm. this false, as you put it correctly, science mm -hmm. tried to create an inferior and superior race from a falsely scientific perspective. And that, Lewis, I would suggest is the dehumanizing fundamental belief system that operated blatantly it fueled massive resistance. In my research, I go and I look at the files of the school boards and the letters that were written to explain why amalgamation, why blacks and whites couldn't go together, and we're still talking about a population blacks that were believed to be subhuman. Right. But here's what my social psychology friends tell me about dehumanization. It takes two forms. Blatant, like I've just described with respect to the eugenics movement, and Thomas Jefferson, and subtle. Subtle dehumanization makes another population's suffering irrelevant to your own. Subtle dehumanization seeks to find explanations apart from those that are obvious and operative so that the moral responsibility for correcting inequity is removed, right? So we think of African Americans maybe as lazy, or maybe we start to shift the explanation. Oh, it's not about race, it's about poverty. It's about class, right? And we ignore the clarity with which so many of the data tell us otherwise, right? And I'll just stick with that infant mortality example. There are others, right? Maternal mortality, so many others, right? Tell us that, and if I can, Structural racism is still at work today, and what is it fueled by? Subtle assumptions that blacks are either super or subhuman or in some way different than the white population, and that explains better than race, right? Because if race explains it, then we all must bear the responsibility, right? But here's some of the data. One of the projects that we're working on in the Equity Initiative, and we don't have the data done yet here locally, 
but we'd like to, uh, we'd like to see if it mirrors the national data. Okay, so some of the data tells us that when you look at structural racism, measured in a couple of different ways I'll get to in a moment, you see that the life expectancy, the mortality rate, the low birth weight, the death from all kinds of diseases for blacks tracks closely the level of structural racism in a community, right? So as structural racism increases, so does death and mortality due to circulatory diseases. As structural racism increases and the measures of structural racism in a community increase, then we also see that the number of low birth weight babies increases. We see that levels of hypertension increase, right? So you see that there's a relationship between community-wide racism and health outcomes, which I think are just an indicator of all the other social things that determine health. So how do you measure racism? That's one of the projects of the Equity Initiative, right? So there are a lot of ways that we could measure racism. One of the most prominent right now is looking at measures of implicit and explicit bias at a community level, right? So we've had a lot of discussion in the national discourse about what's wrong and right about measuring bias. Um, That is my attitudes that are automatic, my attitudes that are uh, unconscious about you because you belong to a racial group. But when we aggregate those measures at a community level and look at how they correlate to things like life expectancy, like the disparity, for example, between the probability of being shot as a black person who is unarmed by the police when compared with the probability of being shot as a white person who is unarmed. Those community levels of racism predict that the probability is greater the higher the racism measure is for blacks to be shot more frequently when they're unarmed by police than whites, right? So what I'm saying is that there is a correlation between what the racial climate is in a community, a quantifiable correlation, right, between that and health outcomes and all of these social outcomes, right? So there is a relationship that we need to be concerned with. In America, the average white family has between seven and 10 times the wealth of the average black family. This wealth disparity has remained largely unchanged since the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. This is drawn from nine charts about wealth inequality in America. Sing Mary McKernan, Urban, on October 4th, 2017. Wealth and financial security is correlated to home ownership. 71% of white American families own their home. Only 41% of black families are homeowners. This is down 5% since 2001. The 2008 financial crisis impacted black homeownership more than any other racial category. This is drawn from a closer look at the 15-year drop in black homeownership published by the Urban Institute, February 13, 2018. 2018 marked the 50th anniversary of the Fair Housing Act. But since 1900, the gap between white and black homeownership in America has expanded. This is drawn from black and white homeownership has widened since 1900 by Skylar Olson, Zillow Research, April 10th, 2018. 25% of the families in the city of Charlottesville 
do not make enough money to pay for the essentials of life, food, shelter, clothing, and utilities, and the costs associated with working, childcare, and transportation. The majority of those families are African American. This is drawn from Realizing the Dream, Family Self-Sufficiency in Albemarle County and Charlottesville, Virginia, Orange.Report 3.0, published by Ridge Schuyler of the Greater Charlottesville Area Development Corporation 2018. Most African Americans report racial bias in dealing with the police, 70%. In the court system, 68%. In the workplace, 54%. And in the school system, 51% and many report bias in voting, 48%, in healthcare, 47%, and in stores and restaurants, 44%. This is drawn from, the vast majority of blacks view the criminal justice system as unfair, a Pew Research report published in 2014. A 2016 study found that a significant number of UVA medical students and residents held false beliefs about biological differences between blacks and whites. For example, that black patients had higher thresholds for pain and thicker skin. False beliefs that perpetuate race-based inequity in medical care. This drawn from racial bias in pain assessment and treatment recommendations and false beliefs about biological difference between blacks and whites. Published by Kelly Hoffman, Sophie Trowalter, Jordan Axt, and Norman Oliver in the PNAS, April 19, 2016. Charlottesville remains a city with neighborhoods segregated by race. This can be seen on the racial dot map from the 2010 census, published by the Weldon Cooper Center. The incarceration rate of African Americans is almost six times that of white Americans, a higher percentage than apartheid-era South Africa. Incarceration severely undermines the hope of family and financial stability. The United States now has the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world. This is drawn from Breaking Down Mass Incarceration in the 2010 Census, published by the States of Incarceration, the Global Context, Prison Policy Initiative. Most African American men are incarcerated on drug charges. White and black men use and sell illegal drugs at very similar rates. This is published in the New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Color Blindness by Michelle Alexander. Charlottesville's black-white educational achievement gap is among the worst nationwide, and that gap is growing. This is drawn from You Are Still Black, Charlottesville's Racial Divide Hinders Students, published by Erica Green and Annie Waldman in the New York Times, October 16, 2018. White students who enroll in college graduate in four to six years at rates 50% higher than their black counterparts. This is drawn from Completing College, National Data by Race and Ethnicity 2017 by the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, April 26, 2017. Over the last decade, business ownership in America has declined in only one demographic, black men. Successful entrepreneurship requires strong support networks and access to capital. This is drawn from Bridging the Divide, Business Ownership Can Help Close the Racial Wealth Gap, published by Joyce Klein for the Aspen Institute, January 2017. African Americans have higher rates of obesity, diabetes, asthma, hypertension, and heart disease than any other racial category in America. African Americans are much less likely to survive cancer than are their white counterparts. This is drawn from the fact sheet on health disparities by race, 
published by the Center for American Progress 2010. In 2016, black families in Charlottesville faced an infant mortality rate three times higher than their white counterparts. This drawn from Health Statistics Chart, published by Virginia Department of Health 2016.